electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Talk to you, Brandon, about the list that just came out today from Just Capital. Tell us what was just released. Yeah, so CNBC partnering with Just Capital, they releasing their 2023 ranks for the top 100 most just companies um, in, 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 in corporate America. And so just to sort of understand and unpack a little bit more about what that means to be a just company. So Just Capital is constantly sourcing um, from the American, uh, putting out surveys in America, getting public opinion as to what best practices they believe make a just company in uh, in the U.S. And so all of that is, is, is compiled, put together, and then broken out into really how it serves five stakeholder populations. So you have workers, you have communities, you have the environment, um, you also have uh, shareholders. Uh, and, and so you're, you're, as, as you're going through all of these, it's figuring out, okay, what is the most important um, amongst Americans as well? And so then companies, uh, based on what they disclose, what transparency data they have out there, are given a ranking within the just 100 based on how they perform uh, and how Americans expect them to perform as a just company. So today, announcing the top 10 list um, here at CNBC. And so before we go into that list, I'm going to have you walk us through what some of those top companies are, maybe the top five. I just want to explain that these are companies that are outperforming or or top performing in terms of being just, but how do they perform in terms of financial performance? Because that's something that we really want our investors to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the market, we found that the Just 100 index, which we do track here at CNBC, as of December 30th of last year, it is updated daily. And so if you were to see the charts that are airing today on CNBC Dayside, you can sort of see how they are actually outperforming the broader market. So since the uh, index's inception, uh, the Just 100 index has actually outperformed the Russell 1000 by about 13%. So we're talking about companies who aren't just doing the work behind the scenes in order to be, um, I believe the way that the T-Mobile CEO on Squawk Box this morning put it, just to be put on a list, they're doing it because at the end of the day, it's good for the, the bottom line of, of their business. Yeah, it's not just the right thing to do, is it's better for business. And interestingly, right. also the Just 100 companies pay more in dividends. I thought that was interesting as well. It's true. Yeah, they pay five times more in dividends. They also are 2.3% higher return on equities. So again, we're really talking about um, data-backed uh, data metrics um, that's showing that these companies are actually outperforming the broader market, at least their peers within the Russell 1000. Yeah, and certainly investors should have access to this information, and that's why we at CNBC believe it's so important to lay all of this out there when they're making investing decisions. You should get to invest not just uh, on financial performance, but also on some of these other factors. Talk to us about what companies are leading the Just 100 and also what types of companies tend to be more successful in terms of those metrics? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of types of companies, 
transparency, 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 disclosure is key. The companies that do disclose the most information or have those transparency um, analysis metrics that are that are public facing are the ones that are performing the best, um, whether it's pay equity analysis, whether it's workforce demographic analysis, whether it's what their rather what their environmental um, impact reports are, right? So those are the companies that are performing best on the top 100. In terms of sectors themselves, we see a lot of leadership within tech. Um, again, we are tech check, but tech is leading um, in there as well as uh, financials. So a lot of big banks amongst the top 10, you have names like Apple, um, Intel, you have Microsoft, NVIDIA. Again, a lot of tech names that have had a, um, historically led um, in the Just 100. But this year you saw a big jump in, in financials. You saw a big jump in banks. Bank of America, the number one most just company this year um, was the, really the big announcement. And a lot of that has to do with over the past year, companies, again, being more transparent, setting minimum wages for their workforce, right? So Bank of America saying in 2025, they're targeting $25 an hour, currently at $22 an hour. All of this really helping to um, to inform uh, inform investors as they're again, as you said, trying to weigh some of these, you know, we can call them ESG metrics, but some of these more um, just metrics. As yeah. Them. Well, so before we bring in Rejma, talk to us a little bit about pay equity. How important is pay equity in the calculation, and what have you seen in terms of some of the themes and trends in terms of the way these companies have addressed pay equity this year? Yeah. So it's it's getting better. Um, there's definitely still some room in terms of disclosure around pay equity, especially when you start to talk about demographic pay equity analysis. So while companies are um, running these internal um, audits of their own pay equity, you know, whether it be by gender or or by race, um, you know, companies are doing the work, but still just a, a fraction of the percentage of the Russell 1000 is really doing the, the, the deep dive, but it still remains the number one issue um, for Americans when asked what um, corporate behaviors make a company just, they're saying paying a fair and living wage, job creation in the U.S., um, and, 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 and uh, just corporate leadership are the top three issues that remain. So, so all of that. Yeah, pay equity is the number one issue, but there's still so much more room um, that uh, of, of progress that needs to happen here. This is a perfect opportunity to bring in Rajma Sajani, um, author of a book on this very topic called Pay Up, the Future of Women and Work. Um, Rajma, talk to us about why you have been so focused on this pay equity issue. It really seems like it's at the center of so much of your work, especially the Marshall Plan for Moms, if you could just sort of explain what that is. Yeah, I mean, I started the Marshall Plan for Moms, which is a, a nonprofit organization, because mothers were decimated during the pandemic, uh, because two-thirds of caregiving work is done by moms, by women. In the pandemic, we were supplementing you know, our, our basically paid labor for unpaid labor with school closures, daycare center closures, et cetera. And now, you know, two and a half years after the pandemic, not much has changed. Uh, you're still missing millions of women from the workforce because we still have a care crisis happening in the United States. And again, going back to the pay equity point for a lot of moms, you know, they make 58 cents on every dollar made by a father. There's a, there's a premium when you become a dad and you lose 10 to 20% of your income the minute that you become a mother. And so until you close the motherhood penalty, until you close that gap, you're really not going to see the type of economic recovery that we want to see from women. And you're never really going to finish the fight for gender parity. It really is centered on that issue. And just to, just for context, I believe the latest statistic is that women on average earn about 83 cents for every dollar that a white man earns. Is that is that the right stat, Rajma? That is. And I think going back to this question of like, how do you drill down even deeper? 
like many of these companies that we're talking to probably on this list don't actually track caregiving status. So they're, they may be looking at gender, they may be looking at race, but they need to really be looking at the motherhood penalty. You know, in many states, single women actually make more than men. And so in many times, this isn't just a gender pay gap, it's a caregiving pay gap. And so we got to have companies actually get much more sophisticated and analyze this. I always joke like this is an algorithmic solution. I can have one of my girls who code students literally build an algorithm and take out the motherhood penalty uh, from most of these companies. So I'm volunteering to do that. <laughs> what I think is so important about what you're doing is this idea that you're putting forth a solution where closing pay gaps would actually be beneficial for business. Um, and so I, before I bring back in Brandon, Reshma, explain to us a little bit about why you believe this is so essential to financial progress, to GDP growth. Well, think about it. Most women today, first of all, we need women to participate in the economic workforce. We have to decide are women a must have or nice to have. And because we have so many jobs open, women have to be a must have. And so most women in America today are, are, are calculating something. They're calculating the cost of childcare, and the cost of childcare is the highest cost that they have in their family, greater than their mortgage, higher than inflation, and they're calculating how much they, they, they make. And so if they're not actually getting paid equitably and they're paying this much for childcare, it actually doesn't make sense to participate in the workforce at their fullest potential. And so companies really, as they're, they're, they're scrambling for talent right now, the number one DNI issue that I hear from CEOs are mothers. Mothers are not coming back. So if they want to retain, keep, attract moms in the workforce, they have to start thinking about closing the pay gap, subsidizing childcare, offering paid leave benefits, actually building a workforce that works for moms. And so interestingly here, Brandon, I'd be curious to hear what you're seeing in terms of how investing in closing gender ga uh, pay gaps and, and, and pay equity gaps can also help with performance. I mean, one thing I've seen in my work in, in closing the gap is that a lot of times companies have found that even though it might cost them millions of dollars to close gender pay gaps, that actually it helps with worker retention um, over time, uh, especially when it comes to promotion where a lot of the pay gaps happen. It's not at the entry level as much as um, pay promotion gaps. Um, what do you see in terms of the priorities for companies, Brandon? I mean, I was surprised to see that only 55% of Russell 1000 companies disclose racial and ethnic workforce data in general, because of course that's a key piece of pay equity as well. Well, and you know, this, uh, the, the, the concept of retention was something that I thought about myself, right? Is like, it's really about creating a, a hospitable work environment, not a hostile work environment, right? And so knowing that um, there, that there is work towards reaching that pay parity does make it, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, like a warm, fuzzy place to be. But there is still so much work to, to be done. And so I think breaking out the nuance of um, mothers within the workforce, and especially when you're talking about the gender pay, um, you know, pay gap is, is so key as key as breaking out, um, you know, demographic data. When I was talking about Latina Equal Pay Day back at the end of December, which fell the latest into the calendar year, right, um, that it had in at least, at least a decade, um, we were talking about the average. Now, when you broke out what, uh, you know, pay parity meant for Nicaraguan women, Honduran women, um, Mexican women, right? You saw that there was actually an even wider gap. So I think the conversation we're having here is that what companies need to do is really start to look at, as we've been saying, this key word, nuance, detail, um, beyond sort of just the, you know, broader analysis of what's happening. And just to, to, to sort of wrap a bow around it, I think the 50% of companies that are disclosing it 
uh, tend to also be the companies that are leading the charge. Um, and so because they've been able to find that pay parity, um, again, I'm thinking just back recently because of Latina Equal Pay Day, um, companies that do disclose how um, the, 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 the gap between Latinas and white non-Hispanic men have reached pay parity. Well, they might be disclosing it because they actually have been successful in reaching that parity. And so I think it's up to us to use these, um, use this data, use this report, use this, these metrics to sort of hold companies accountable as we continue to cover them. But it seems like transparency is such a key piece of this. I mean, in order to understand where pay gaps are, companies need to disclose what their gender breakdowns are. I mean, even what their percentage of their employees have different backgrounds. To, and then from there, you could say, and that's what, and we can use that information to understand how we might be paying different people uh, with, with different standards or have different types of pay gaps. Brandon, um, what are you seeing in terms of the importance of that transparency and how much work still needs to be done to, to get to a place where there can be that kind of very detailed analysis of where the pay gaps are? Yeah, so uh, it's, a, it's really a question, again, the companies that I'm talking to who are disclosing this information, they're, again, the ones that are, you know, have, have advanced the needle the most in terms of closing that gap. Um, of those who aren't, you know, it's, it's really a conversation about which stakeholder populations are the top priority. I mean, that sort of opens up the can of worms into when corporations speak out on certain issues, whether yeah. it be pay parity, um, whether it be certain things like we saw in Florida with, um, with DeSantis and, and, and the Disney CEO, right? Right on your beat, Julia. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, how are companies themselves deciding which stakeholder populations they're serving? Is it workers? Is it their shareholders? Um, and so then how do you invest the resources to best serve those communities? So yeah. how are these companies determining um, which stakeholder populations are their priority? I think that's the question that and, and multiple yes. stakeholders. Increasingly, I think, Reginald, we're talking about multiple stakeholders and having an awareness and a, and a responsibility to multiple stakeholders driving um, the best business outcomes. I want to talk about solutions. I know that's what the Marshall Plan for Moms is all about, Reshma, but what would your message be to companies, um, and even whether it's to companies or in terms of regulatory bodies thinking about the role that government could play um, in some of these things, I know you've been involved um, in, in some lobbying in that area as well. What is your your proposal? Yeah, I mean, one, I think that employees are paying attention to this, and you see this with the pandemic. Uh, people are shopping, and we have a lot. We did a survey, you know, with McKinsey that really demonstrates, like for example, parents in particular, moms in particular, are looking to go work at companies like Bank of America that they know are going to pay them equitably and provide them with flexibility, support with childcare, you know, have paid leave benefits, so that this matters to them. And so I do think that none of this is rocket science. You know, closing, you know, the pay gap is literally an algorithmic solution that every company can do tomorrow. It's not that hard. And so we need to continue to put pressure on companies. But like I said, I think we can, we have to be very specific in terms of people of color, in terms of caregivers, and really say, is there still a gap there? And if there's a gap there, are you closing? And if you're not, why? And I think stakeholders have to demand that. I think the second thing is, is like, again, I, I, again, the work that we're focused on is on parents and mothers and families. You know, we know that providing paid leave, you know, most women go back to work 10 days after having a baby. That's unconscionable. They never recover from that. Right. And it's why they drop out of the workforce or, again, don't reach their fullest potential because they don't heal from that experience, either physically or mentally. 
You know, secondly, providing support with childcare. Childcare is not a personal problem, it is an economic issue. And we're seeing this across the globe and companies are recognizing this. This is, a, this is a very important conversation people are having in the boardroom because people are telling them, I cannot come back to work because I can't afford childcare. You know what I mean? And I have got to find a job that offers me flexibility so I can I can do provide some of that support on my own. So I think that this is there's a there's a reckoning happening right now. Yeah. And I think employee and I think employees are demanding what they need. And the question is, are companies going to listen? So, and what's interesting, Rajma, is that you've been working on this for a while. You've been working, I mean, obviously the Marshall Plan for Moms came out of the pandemic, but you've been working on talking about pay equity for quite some time. But now we're entering a new phase in terms of the economy. There's concern about recession. There's certainly a ton of economic uncertainty. Does your perspective, does your um, guidance and, and advice to companies change when we're in these particularly perilous or uncertain economic times? Absolutely not. So after the pandemic, and especially in the, over the past year, companies started cutting their paid leave and childcare policies by 65%, right? And that is a mistake. And is again, why they have a retention problem and a problem with not being able to retain and attract mothers and parents from the workforce. I mean, in the middle of the triple pandemic, all of us are struggling. You know what I mean? To basically do our jobs and take care of our kids. And so if you don't see that, and if you don't see that as a value or a benefit, an HR benefit that you need to provide, you're simply never going to, you know, you're never going to get the most talented people working at your company. So companies that are smart, some of our partner companies like Synchrony Financial, Patagonia, Etsy, you know what I mean? Who get this are actually having more applicants apply to open positions than they've ever had. Yeah. And so like the data is very clear that this is what pe these are the kinds of benefits that, pe that people want that will keep them attracted to your company and have them stay. And as you know, Julia, you know, when the average I think the average amount of time that people stay at a company is something like eight to nine months. It's very expensive. You know what I mean? To keep actually losing talent and then rehiring. But as Patagonia and Etsy will tell you, when you provide those benefits to people, people say, you care about me, you care about my family. I'm going to stay with you. And that's a tremendous amount of cost savings over the lifespan of an employee. Yeah. And just looking at the financial performance, just as we tie this up to tie it back to the financial outperformance of the Just 100 companies, having those policies that are better for workers does correlate with better stock performance over time, which I think is really important. And, and certainly it seems like keeping those uh, those costs down around hiring and retention would be a key part of that. I could keep talking to both of you forever. There's so much interesting to delve into here. And it's so exciting to see the results of the Just 100, which is now out on CNBC.com. But I want to thank you, Rejma, and thank you, Brandon, for this conversation. I want to direct everyone to CNBC.com for more information about this list, which CNBC has done in conjunction with Just Capital. And Rejma, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 